0: morning, everyone. It's really good to see so many here this morning. And just thank you, Roy, again for how you have led us. I'm really enjoying sharing ministry with Roy, so thank you, Roy. Today we come to the third contender for the original Christmas number one. So far we have listened to the Magnificat, sung by Mary. Last week we heard Benedictus, sung by Zechariah. And this morning we are going to hear a song called Gloria sung by an entire choir of angels. And the people who heard this song for the very first time were a group of shepherds situated on a Judean hillside, minding their own business literally, when all of a sudden, well, rather than me tell you what happened next, let me introduce you to Seth, who's going to share a little of his story.
1: My father and grandfather were shepherds. It's a thing that runs in families. People often tell me that mine was a dull life. Well, maybe. Looking after sheep is much the same each day. But many people have never seen lambs play and leap, have never sat quietly on a hill and watched the sun or the moon. It's good to be quiet. Too many people speak before they think. That's one good thing about looking after sheep. You get into the habit of keeping quiet. If you use words, you take your time to get them right. Words are important. I like to watch the night sky, the moon and the stars. Once I saw, at night, a sight that very few have seen. Just once, but once was enough for any man. I was about 19 at the time, and although it's nearly 50 years ago, I remember it like yesterday. I was one of a group of shepherds who looked after the sheep owned by the temple. We usually worked at night. On this night, we'd met up where we usually did, on the side of a big hill. We'd had a bite to eat and drink, and we sitting, talking. And all around us were our hundreds of sheep, all normal and usual and quiet. Then there was a sort of stillness and a feeling of change, of difference. We all felt it. But Simon first noticed what the change was. It was the light. There was a sort of paleness. It was a dark night, but suddenly it wasn't dark. We seemed surrounded and enclosed by a great glow. It was the purest light I had ever seen. The sheep were as white as snow. Then, as our eyes began to ache with it, just further up the hill from us, the glow seemed to intensify. And take shape. And we saw a man. Like us. But not like us. Taller. Stiller. He looked at us. We looked at him. We waited for him to speak. It didn't seem right for any of us to speak first. He took his time. As though to find the right words. And then he began to tell us. What he called good news of great joy. Of a newborn baby. Born in David's town, a baby sent by God to save the world, to change things, to make things better. (coughs) He told us where to go and find the baby and how to recognize him and to tell other people the good news. His own pleasure in telling us filled us with joy too. Then he stopped speaking and in a second there seemed to be a million like him right up the hill On up into the sky. And they sang to us. Glory to God they sang. And on earth peace to all. It was wonderful. And then they were gone. And we felt lonely and lost. Then Samuel said, come let's go find the baby. David's town the angel said, Bethlehem in a stable? In a manger? And off we went. We ran, we sang, we shouted, we had been chosen, we were special. We were on a search and we had to find that baby. And we did find him. We were led, there was no searching. We saw for ourselves, not much to see perhaps, a young mother and her husband and her newly born baby. They were poor people. The man was a carpenter. Well, we did as we'd been told. We spread the word, and people did get excited, but not for long. Nothing lasts. Soon it was old news. Soon we were just shepherds again, doing a dull job. But we were different from all the rest. We'd had that night. I don't talk about it much anymore, but it keeps me warm. I was there. there are all sorts
0: of conflicting opinions about shepherds some would say that they were an unrespectable group within society who ignored the intricacies of Jewish law and therefore they were rough and they were dangerous and they were the sort of lost sheep of their day whereas others believe that shepherding was actually a noble profession in that culture after all David had been a shepherd boy Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd Jesus would later describe himself as the good shepherd either way one thing's for sure Shepherding was a lowly and a humble occupation. And so once again, you encounter a God who involves and includes the most unlikely of people at this critical, life-altering moment in human history. God decides to share the next stage of his story, not with the elite, not with the wealthy, not with the powerful But with a bunch of shepherds. Some of the poorest of the poor. Whenever Mary's baby was born, she must have wondered, who's going to be the first visitors? I mean, an angel's told me that my kid's going to be special. He's going to be son of the Most High. God was going to give him the throne of his father, David. He was going to be a king, and yet the first visitors to walk through the door are a bunch of shepherds smelling of wood, smoke, sweat, and sheep. And the only thing they bring is a sense of wonder. Subsequently, a very different, much more impressive group would turn up, complete with expensive gifts, but for now, it's just shepherds. Can you imagine God saying to the angels in heaven, "Okay, I want you to go now and announce the arrival of Messiah. The time has come, and the angels must have wondered to themselves, "Where are we going to be sent with this amazing message, and who are we going to get to tell?" And God says, "You're off to a remote hillside to speak to and sing to a poor, ragtag band of common, hard-working shepherds who are just going about their normal nighttime routine shift." You see. God, his ways are not our ways. And therefore, whoever you are this morning, whatever you do, God has a message, the same message of Christmas that the angels brought to the shepherds to share with you. And so what I want to do is consider the shepherd's story and the song that was sung to them at the first Christmas. If you've got a Bible with you, it would be really helpful if you could turn to Luke chapter 2. We're just going to work our way through some verses. We're going to start by reading from verse 8. So Luke chapter 2, starting from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. You see, one of the striking features of the first Christmas is the reality of fear, terror, and confusion. And in fact, whenever you read the Bible, right from Abraham in Genesis 15, right up to John in Revelation chapter 1, you discover that whenever people were confronted by God or his angels, the consistent reaction was fear. But to each of them, including Mary, including Zechariah, and now to this bunch of shepherds, God says, do not be afraid. And as soon as all those people sensed that God had accepted them and wanted to communicate with them then their fear subsided and you come to verse 10 I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people and immediately the shepherds must have been struck by the personal nature of what was being communicated to them this announcement i bring you this is an inclusive message They, despite their position, despite what other people had thought of them or think of them, are included in this. And again, this message is still personal. It's for you. But what is it that's being brought? Well, it's good news. You know, it seems that we're constantly surrounded by bad news stories. So surely the prospect of some good news is a novel idea. But the angel isn't finished yet. Because it's good news of great joy. And if good news seems to be lacking in our society, then joy appears to be an even greater casualty. Someone has described us as a culture devoid of joy. We pursue it, but so few of us actually find it. But what is joy? Well, last Sunday night, I attempted to offer an alternative formula for happiness. And after the service, James Greenwood uh, shared this with me. And it's brilliant. What is the difference between happiness and joy? I know some of you have heard this before. Happiness happens. Joy abides. Do you know, if we get what we want for Christmas, if the family don't fall out over the holidays, if the credit card bill isn't, as much as I'm expecting it to be in January, then I'll be happy. And happiness tends to be an emotional state which is dependent on our circumstances, whereas joy is the unchanging quality that remains despite your pain, despite all the questions that you have, despite the doubts you carry, despite the suffering, the tears, the change in fortune, and even joy is that quality that remains despite financial collapse. Because happiness just happens. Joy abides. And the shepherds are captivated by what they're hearing because it's personal, it's good news, it's great joy, and then it's for all the people, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, Roman, Greek, master, slave, rich, poor, king, peasant. No one is excluded. And so they're waiting with bated breath, to hear what is this personal good news of great joy that is for all the people and they're not disappointed as you look at verse 11. Today, in the town of David, which is Bethlehem, a saviour has been born to you. And again, note the personal nature of the announcement, born to you. But it's a saviour. It's a deliverer. It's someone who's going to lead a rescue mission. See, many Jews were longing for a political leader who was going to deliver them from Roman rule. And according to this angel, at this moment in time, he's arrived. This is genuine headline news that these shepherds are receiving. But Savior isn't the only title for this newborn, because verse 11 continues, He's also Christ the Lord. It's the only time in the New Testament that the two words are directly connected. And Christ means king. It's the New Testament version of the Old Testament idea of Messiah. And Lord means ruler. This was truly a groundbreaking announcement. And the shepherds are now reeling. But what the angel says next must have come as a bit of a shock. Verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Lying in a what? What? Hang on a minute, did you not just say that a saviour and a king and a ruler has just been born and yet you're now telling us that he's currently lying in an animal's feeding trough? Something quite unique is happening here. You see, and it's not really for now, but the vast majority of people expected or what they expected by way of a saviour and a king and a ruler was not what they got. They were expecting political freedom from their enemies. They were expecting the re-establishment of Israel as a great nation amongst others. But the saviour who was currently lying in a manger out the back of some fully booked travel inn had actually come to deliver them from the ultimate enemies of Satan, sin and death. But that's for another time. Now if one angel... And a remarkable announcement isn't enough to shake these poor shepherds to the core. The next dramatic event must have been incredible. Because all of a sudden, not just one angel is standing before them, but it's an entire company of them. Some would estimate that it's as many as 100,000. Just to give you a mental picture of that, the new Wembley Stadium holds 90,000 people. So the night sky is now obliterated. Darkness has been abruptly interrupted by the brilliance of heavenly light. And basically that's the story of Christmas in a nutshell. Light steps down into darkness. And then the Angelic Choir sang the shortest of our four songs. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favour rests. And here we have a song which tunes into two deep needs within every human being. The need to praise and the need to find peace. You see, glory to God in the highest is a declaration of praise. It's a statement of admiration. It's an expression of worship because to worship is a natural instinct. We have all been created with an inbuilt desire to express worth to someone or something, it's been infused into our DNA to worship. And so the question isn't, will you worship? The question is, what or who will you worship? And the angelic choir are absolutely clear on the focus of their worship. It's glory to God. It's all about Him. God is to be praised. God is to be admired. God is at the centre of all that is happening at this decisive moment in time and history. Because what is man's chief end according to the Westminster Shorter Catechism to glorify God and enjoy him forever you see you and I were made to worship and whenever God is the focal point of our worship then a deep need within us is met but the second need this song taps into is the need to find peace And this idea of peace on earth resonates with the vast majority of humanity. We long for peace between nations. We long for it within nations. We long for it in our homes. We long for it in our communities. We long for it in our families. And yet as we look around, and as we read our newspapers, and as we listen to our news bulletins, we are all too aware of the disturbing lack of peace that characterises our world. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. Wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And one of my One of my favourite bands are are U2 and Bono's lyrics and songs often evoke thought and discussion. And on U2's 2000 album, All You Can't Leave Behind, behind, he sings these words. Heaven and earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all this hanging around, sick of sorrow, sick of pain, sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Jesus, the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat. Peace on earth here at every Christmas time but hope and history won't rhyme so what's it worth this peace on earth and so every year as Christians and as the church whenever we declare that Jesus came to bring peace on earth we seem to face the difficult reality because Iraq and Afghanistan and Zimbabwe and Congo and Mumbai and the streets of Liverpool and London and Los Angeles and Lisburn they all appear to mock our song And so because there has never been and there still is no peace on earth, the logical conclusion according to many in our society today is the angels got it wrong. And I don't know how you respond to that. And I don't know how you deal with that issue. But please note, and this is so important for me to say, The problem, I believe, herein lies in a misunderstanding of the meaning of peace and in an incomplete reading of the angelic song's original and complete lyrics. Because the peace that Jesus came to bring was primarily a peace with God. The Bible makes it clear that as a result of sin's unwelcomed intrusion into our world, human beings are estranged, they are separated from God. But now, with the arrival of Jesus, with the birth of the Christ child, the possibility of reconnection, the possibility of being brought back into harmony with God, of peace on earth with God, is now staring us in the face. You see, the angels don't sing about peace on earth for all people. Rather, their song includes this crucial lyric, On whom his favour rests. This is a song about peace between God and man. Jesus came to deal with the unrest, the tension, the enmity, the division that exists between the creator and the created. Jesus came to reunite us to Father God. You see, we live in a fallen, broken, dysfunctional, sinful world. There will never be earthly peace. Wars and rumors of them, hostility, dissension, disagreement, they will continue to exist. The Bible doesn't imply otherwise. But in finding peace with God, which is now possible because of the birth of Emmanuel, we can experience true peace, real peace. Shalom. Incidentally, this doesn't mean that we don't care about peace between nations or within nations. That we don't care about peace in our communities and in our families. Because Jesus would later declare in that infamous speech that changed the world, blessed are the peacemakers. And he would also urge us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And peace is the third segment of the fruit of the Spirit. So we are, as Christians, to work for peace, pray for peace, live at peace with others. But let's be so clear on what this angelic message about peace was really all about and the song of praise and peace ends, and the angels leave, and the darkness of the night sky returns, and the shepherds are left looking at each other, wondering if that all really just happened. But it did. And so they decide to take a risk, and the risk being that they're just going to leave their sheep, it would seem, unattended. And let's pick up the story from verse 15. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And so where do we go from here this morning? What can we do in response to this third song? Well, let me just suggest a brief course of action based on what we have just read. You see, at this or at each stage... As this story unfolds before Mary's very eyes, look at verse 19. Because what you discover is a woman who just treasures all of this. Who just ponders it all in her heart. She takes time to reflect and think and consider the sheer magnitude of the events that are surrounding her on this first Christmas. And the shepherds go to Bethlehem and they find the animal feeding trough. Uh, that was the signpost to the identity of the baby lying in it. And they share with his mum and dad, with Mary and Joseph, the incredible experience they've just had on a hillside outside of this town. And then according to verse 20, look at what they do. They return, they go back to their fields, praising God. Their hearts are bursting with thankfulness but they don't just share the hope they've discovered with Mary and Joseph look at verses 17 and 18 because they confirm that these shepherds spread the word and as a result of them spreading the word all who heard it were amazed at what they were told you see the shepherds didn't just keep this to themselves they got it out there on the streets and so here's the course of action I want to suggest you might want to pick up this Christmas ponder praise proclaim Take time this week, take time today to ponder the depth and detail of the Christmas story. Practice the discipline of silence, the discipline that Seth and his friends shared. Practice silence and maybe during the next few days you will read over the three songs that we have sung on Sunday mornings And what I would love you to do is, as you read over those three songs again in the run-up to Christmas, share your reflections of them with me, either by email or just personally. Secondly, join Mary, Zechariah, the angels and the shepherds in praising God with grateful hearts this Christmas. Despite your circumstances, even in the midst of your circumstances, Do you know a deep abiding joy that enables you to declare glory to God in the highest? And thirdly, take a risk. Go from here to proclaim the good news of great joy that
1: is for all people. And may God help us.